Great. How much would you pay to have an extra hour of sleep each day? Any bids? Anyone want to make a bid? How much would you pay? Zero? Great. If you're, great. If you're in that position, praise the Lord. Uh, anyone else? Anyone want to extend zero to anything else? Hundred pounds for an hour. That's well. <laughs> zero from Mike. Great. Well, there was a there was a survey last year which said that half of adults in the UK, so maybe half in the room, uh, would take twenty pounds for an extra half, oh, an extra half hour a day. I've got here, not even so forty pounds an hour. Forty pounds an hour. Um, one in eight adults in a different survey uh, said they feel tired all of the time. The majority, over 50%, felt tired most of the time. Then when it came to stress, uh, 74% of adults have felt so stressed in the last year at some point, they have felt overwhelmed and unable to cope. I wonder if any of those stats uh, resonate with you uh, statistically, um, assuming the uh, stats were done properly. I imagine they must for some of us. Uh, I absolutely love the opening chapters of Genesis. Uh, Preaching this series has been a real joy for me. I've spent a number of years trying to look at Genesis, reflecting on how God tells us right at the very beginning about the the DNA of the world he has made and the people he has made in it, how that then shapes all of life now. Uh, And so hopefully this series has given answers to some big questions, or at least kind of giving you some framework to think them through. Because the Bible has something to say about everything in our world, including the tiredness and the stress we may feel. Not necessarily because there's a verse about every aspect of modern life, but because every part of life fits within the story told in the Bible. So if those stats did resonate with you, if you are feeling tired today, overwhelmed, if you feel a little bit like you're on the, in the rat run of life, uh, come to, with me to see what God has to say to you today. Because uh, the final part of our study, Pete mentioned it earlier, what it means to be made in God's image is to think about what it means to rest. Because bizarrely, and it is bizarre if you think about it, God, who by definition has no need for sleep or rest, rested. He worked for six days, creating the world, and then he rested. And he inaugurated a, a rhythm, a pattern for the whole of creation. He created, and so we, as those made in his image, are to rest. So let's look firstly at the rhythm of creation. The first stop uh, in the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 starts with God working. First story, sorry, starts with God working and ends with him resting. Chapter 2, verse 2, as Jenny read it, By the seventh day God had finished the work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating he had done. We've looked throughout this series of what it means to be made in God's image. And in its simplest form, we've seen how being made in his image means we're in some way like God. So like God who rested, it's pretty simple to say, we must also rest. Fatigue, burnout, anxiety, busyness, starved relationships, worn down immune systems, low energy levels, anger, tension, confusion emptiness all of those can be signs of a life without rest they're all things which i sometimes feel but we're not just left to throw our arms up in the air and wonder what on earth do we do about this because god has built into the rhythm of creation this pattern 
a seven-day week, six days of work, and a day of rest. There's been a number of countries who have tried to mess with the seven-day week. Um, Statistically, they've all failed. France tried a 10-day week. Somewhere in Scandinavia tried a 14-day. They haven't worked. And does it if we don't mess with the way God set things up. And God then uh, commands his people to follow this pattern. The fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20, uh, says this. And he says this commandment, you'll see, because of the pattern of creation. There's Exodus 20. Remember the Sabbath day. Sabbath just means to stop by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, he commands it because of the pattern of creation. The two words I want to zoom in on. God blessed the day and he made it holy. Firstly, he blessed the day. Uh, he blesses three things in the Bible. Uh, or sorry, in the first two uh, stories of uh, Genesis. He blesses the animals. He blesses humanity. And then he blesses a day. Uh, and to bless something, you'll see it when you see how he blesses humanity, and blesses the animals, uh, is all about giving them life. It's life-giving to bless something. And he does this with a day. I don't know about you, but at the end of a long week, I need rest. We get tired and then we rest and it is life-giving. Rest in all its various forms, whether it's sleep or whether it's relaxation, whatever form might be, is blessed. You see the same at the end of maybe a long few months. If we're able to, we'll take a holiday, go away somewhere and rest. And it's life-giving. You come back slightly more full of life. Rest is blessed. And it's holy. The Sabbath is holy. The more dramatic thing here is that it was made holy. The first thing in the whole Bible that is declared holy is not God himself. It's not his creation. It's not the pinnacle of his creation, humanity. It is rest. It's that day of rest. I find this incredible. I know I often uh, define myself, feel good about myself based on how active and busy I am. Sometimes brag about it. How are you doing? Oh, I'm quite busy at the moment. It's kind of a, a badge of honour. Well, actually, maybe the badge of honour should be how rested we are. But those who are rest are truly blessed. Other religions often have holy places. You think about Mecca for Muslims or the River Ganges for Hindus or Wembley for England football fans. And yet as Christians, it's not a place which is blessed here at the start. It is time which is blessed. Not all moments are created equal. For six days we labour. We use all the gifts and talents and the opportunities God has given us to love others, to love the world. And then for one day we rest and we receive life. And this, God says, is holy. To make something holy is to dedicate it, to set it apart, to revere it, to make it special. And the Sabbath, which I said means the day to stop work, was blessed and holy. I don't know about you, but I often forget this rhythm. 
We forget it so much so that in the Ten Commandments, God says that he says, remember it. It's the only of the commandments. He says, remember it. We're commanded to remember it because it's so easy to forget it. It feels so hard to make time for it. I genuinely found this probably the most challenging of the sermons to apply to myself this week. I've had five of the seven I've, I've dug into quite deeply and there's been some difficult things we've looked at in this series and yet this in some ways seems the hardest to make space for, to think about. But I'm challenged. We have to guard it. We have to protect it and keep it holy. But why? Why did God do it this way? Well, we we saw in one of our first sermons in this series how we need to keep remembering we are not God. We are created. We're not the creator. And taking deliberate rest reminds us of this. It reminds us of our limitedness. We are limited. But in Deuteronomy 5, God gives another reason. Uh, The Israelites, having wandered away from God, they give them the Ten Commandments again. Uh, And yet there's a subtle difference in the command around the Sabbath, or at least the reasoning for it. In Exodus, the command for the Sabbath was given uh, to follow the pattern of creation, to image God, be like God, and work for six and rest for one. In Deuteronomy, though, it says this. It says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt And that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, uh, the Israelites had just left slavery in Egypt. But they were getting into bad patterns of work. They were not resting. And so God reminded them to obey the rhythm. So they would remember they are no longer slaves because slaves, by definition, do not get a day off in the week. Uh, For the Israelites to obey this command was formative for them. It was a weekly reminder to them of God's goodness, of his rescue, that they were his people, a reminder of God's provision that he is God and they are not. Remember the manna in the desert, he provided for them a double portion so they did not have to go and gather food on that day off. It was a reminder that they were God's people and he would care for them. They were forgetting that. They were acting as if they were slaves. And I wonder, is there not a danger for some of us that we act as if we're slaves still, that we forget our rescue? Because, and we'll look at this more in a minute, if you're following Jesus, you have no need to work to earn his favour in any way. Corrie ten Boom uh, famously once said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. I think there's truth in that, as in can make us sin. We're all fallen. But both sin and busyness had the exact same effect. They cut off our connection to God, to other people, and even to our own soul. You do not have to work day by day, week by week, without rest, trying to prove something. You don't need to work all the time in order to earn enough money to survive. You can trust your Heavenly Father will care for you. Taking a Sabbath, as it was for the Israelites, was for, is for us, is an act of faith. I think it's an even more present danger, maybe, with the easy access to work we now have with technology. Even 50 years ago, you had to go to your place of work. Now work can be with us at every moment of every second of every day. The ping of notifications, they take us away from the present and take us back to our desks, even if we're not at work. Maybe even more challenging for those who regularly work at home. A regular observance of a day of rest, a day when the phone is not actively present, when the notifications are off, the work email is swiped to inactive, is a way to say enough. To say, I do not have to work 
more. I do not have to earn my father's love in any way. I do not have anything to prove. As it was then, as it is for us, it's a way to remind ourselves that we are more than our work. We saw that last week. Work is a good thing, but not something for us to find our identity and our satisfaction in. It's a way to remind us that we're loved and we're known and we're cherished irrespective of what we do. And it's incredibly countercultural. Now, you may have been listening there and I've kind of assumed there in what I've been saying that it's something to follow today. Uh, but you might be sitting there and thinking, that was then back in Genesis. You may remember our series in Romans even. We looked at how Sabbath observance was something not to judge one another on, something not necessarily to follow now in our freedom as those saved by Jesus. So what does this rhythm and pattern established in Genesis mean for us now? What about now? Well, uh, we're going to look, unsurprisingly, and Jenny Redfern, we're going to look at Jesus. Because amazingly, remember, God does not need rest. And yet God loved us so much that he became finite. The God who does not need sleep or rest came and took on human form. And he slept and he got tired and he got weary. And he had a lot to say about the Sabbath. And he himself practiced the Sabbath. Jenny read, uh, on one particular Sabbath day, the Pharisees were getting angry about how Jesus and his disciples were celebrating it. And it's here that Jesus says these words. Come to me. All you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Ever since Genesis 3, even our rest was cursed. Work was hard, but then so was rest. The people entered slavery. And then went years and years of forgetting to remember God's goodness and provision by celebrating the Sabbath. In Genesis 2, we get a glimpse of true and proper rest. But with the fall, as sin enters the world, it's snatched away. And by the time we get to Jesus, the Pharisees had heaped law after law onto the people. Their intentions have probably actually been quite good. They were trying to honour the law. They were trying to keep it holy. But it become a real burden. And ultimately, it did not work. You couldn't just follow every law and make yourself right with God because no matter how good they were, no matter how good we are, we still never will be perfect. We'll never be able to restore our own relationship with God again. So Jesus here says something incredible. He says to what would have been at the time weary Jews, heaped down by the law, come to me and find rest, rest for your souls. Let's keep looking at what Jesus said and did on the Sabbath. Start chapter 12 with Matthew, if you've got it open. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. Now, note that's a law which they've set up. The Pharisees have written that law in. That's not necessarily a law from the Bible. He answered, haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, 
I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. That's saying Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. He's reminding the people that the promise of a blessed day of rest ultimately all points to him. Jesus is the one all of Israel's prophets promised would come to restore the rhythm of all creation. Jesus is the one who came to restore the broken relationship of God with man, of man with creation and of man with time and rest. Jesus was here and so nothing would ever be the same again. It's why in Colossians 2, Paul says, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The food laws, the old festivals, the Sabbath day all pointed to Jesus. So when they came, they no longer needed to be followed because ultimately rest is found in Christ. True rest is not found in a place. It's not found in a particular season or an activity. It's found in a person. So if you're weary, burdened, Maybe you feel guilty and ashamed. Maybe you feel like your sin is just too much for God, that you're just too much for God. Jesus says, come and find rest with me. Stop the endless attempts to make yourselves good enough for God. Stop trying to justify your attempts to please him. Stop trying to earn your friendship with him. Just come and find rest in your soul by coming to Jesus. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God forever. And he came and he died once and for all for our sins. And he rose from the dead, defeating death. So we do not need to keep striving. We do not need to keep trying to make ourselves right before God, good enough for God. Firstly, because we can't. We're dead in our sins, like Adam. But secondly, because we don't need to. Because Jesus has done it all. He came as a finite man. He took the punishment we all deserve when he died in our place on the cross. And on the cross, he declared, it is finished. It is finished. So we can come and find rest in him. Delight and joy in him. And we can look forward to the final Sabbath rest to come when we'll dwell with God forever in the new creation. The whole of creation is building towards that day, the day when the eternal Sabbath is ushered in. Okay. So, do I need to follow the Sabbath now? Well, yes, but also no. You do not need to, it will not make you right before God. It's not like a marker for us as Christians in the same way it was for the Israelites. But it's incredibly wise to follow the rhythm our maker built into the world. And it will help us keep going in our relationship with God. It's not a sin to skip this rhythm. The New Testament does not command it. But it doesn't command us to eat food and drink water or sleep for 8 to 11 hours a night. But that is all wise things to do. And when we look at Jesus, the perfect man, as we've seen, he practiced the Sabbath. He took the rhythm seriously. 
And we're called to be his disciples, his followers. And so we can go a long way by looking at how he lived. On one particular day, we see in the book of Mark, it was a Sabbath. Jesus got into trouble with the Pharisees again. They took issue with how Jesus and his friends were celebrating it. And Jesus lovingly rebukes them, saying this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It's a stunning line. And yet I think we often, I know I often misread this. As I said, at this time, they had about 1,500 extra rules to govern what you could and couldn't do on this day. How far you could walk, what food you could eat, what you could and couldn't do. And Jesus here was rebuking a a legalistic, guilt-heavy religious culture who were missing the heart behind God's command to slow down for a day a week. I think we have it the opposite way round in our culture. We need to hear the command, the Sabbath was made for man. It was created and designed by God as a gift for us. There's still incredible wisdom here to follow the pattern of six days work, one day rest. And when we do that, when we observe the Sabbath, we live reminding ourselves like the Israelites did, that the work of salvation is finished, that total rest is coming. It's how the Creator set up our body, set up the world, and so we would do well to follow this pattern. So what could it look like? To find rest in Christ daily, to rest in him every moment of every second of every day, to put our trust in him. But also to find specific rest weekly. Well, we're going to look a little bit practically, but the first thing to reiterate is there are no firm guidelines as such. You may want them, they're not there. Uh, But I'm going to give you some questions to ask yourself. Because it's important, as Paul says, we don't judge one another on our working of this. It will look different for different people. It will likely look different at different times and seasons of life. But whilst I think there are no sort of firm, specific guidelines as such, I do think it's important to be deliberate about how we plan to treat the day. So in order to think about it a bit, we need to try and define rest. We defined work last week as this. We said, uh, using a a definition from Tim Keller, work is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. Work is proactive, it's deliberate, it's day by day cultivating and subduing the world. But what about rest? How do we define rest? I think looking at the next bit of Matthew 12 helps as we see the debate Jesus was in. A man with a shriveled hand was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, the Pharisees asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored. Just as sound as the other. They're asking, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Quite strikingly, I had not noticed it before, but nearly all of Jesus' healings take place on the Sabbath. Healing was a sign of God's blessing breaking through, of his restored kingdom coming to earth. It was a sign of life and God's love for those he blessed in that way. It was restoration. He was saying the renewed creation is coming and I've come to bring it in. 
You could say, when they said, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? What better day is there to heal than the Sabbath? The day to bring rest. So it is for us, at the end of a long, hard week, the Sabbath comes to heal us, to patch us up. So a good question to ask about any activity you may or may not do on a set-apart day is this. Here's three questions. Is this activity, as the healing there, is it life-giving? Is it life-giving? You can then add the questions from Genesis 2. Is this rest? And is this worship? Is it holy? And if an activity falls into those categories, superb. And it's worth saying some people's rest, some people's categories of those will be different to others. Is exercise, for example, work or rest? You see, for some, it's a real life-giving thing to go out for a run. For others, it could be another way in which you're striving to prove yourself and perform. Or it could be just absolute torture. You do it just to look after yourself. Gardening. For some, it'll be a wonderful, relaxing and cultivating activity. For me, it's not. You know you. Some stuff in life is clearly work. Going to the office, answering your work email, scheduling things. Probably doing the laundry, maybe things like that. Some stuff is quite clearly rest, sleeping, relaxing, enjoying a meal as friends and family. So some good questions to deliberately ask about any activity on your Sabbath is, is this life-giving? Is it restorative to both me and those around me? Is it holy? Is it something I could thank God for? Is it rest? Is it helping me rest in Christ? If it's not, you've got six days of the week for that. You'll note here and with those questions, I don't think we're just talking about a day off. I think the advent of the weekend, which is a pretty modern concept, doesn't necessarily help here. It's not just a day off we're talking about. There's a deliberateness. Some things you might do on a day off you wouldn't do on a Sabbath. You're unlikely to find me doing any DIY on the day I set aside as my Sabbath. You're unlikely to find me doing any DIY at all. Um, But the point is that some tasks, while not paid work, are also not ones I like to do on the Sabbath. Now, um, I've deliberately not spoken yet about which day of the seven. That's quite deliberate. Uh, I think it can vary depending on your paid work and circumstances. Um, A few years ago, I tried to implement more of a clear rhythm into my week. Um, I was pretty, uh, I think I was on the edge of burnout at the end of two years of COVID and a pretty heavy time of work, overworked and overtired. I was blessed. My work gave me a week off in August to recharge. And I deliberately read, I think my mum passed it to me, as she often does. She's a prayerful woman. I'm sure the Lord nudged it her way. I read a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by a guy called John Mark Comer. It's going to be in our book library we're about to introduce. I can recommend it. It's a really challenging read. I remember chatting it through briefly with Caroline. We adopted some of its principles. It's still very much a work in progress. uh, But it's been a good time to review it this week to see how I want to tweak that. I try and take some time each year to think about it, knowing that life circumstances change. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what I do, as a, not necessarily to, to copy it exactly, but just to give you an example of one way I've tried to apply this. Each week I do really try and take 24 hours completely off from either paid work or any other form of work. It's normally from Friday dinner to Saturday dinner for us. Often we'll have a date night on a Friday, just some deliberate time together. Caroline then blesses me with a line on a Saturday normally. I wake early on a Sunday to try and do the same for her. Uh, And then when possible, it's a day for family. Books with Layla, or just chaos as it is at the moment. Uh, Games with Duncan, endless imaginative games. 
Often we'll try and get out for a walk or to the park with the family, try and do an activity, try and see friends. Um, I'll not turn my laptop on all day. I don't have work emails on my phone normally anyway, but they'd go off if I did. Uh, And that's the aim. It doesn't always happen in the way that I describe. It hasn't happened this weekend. I feel slightly a hypocrite talking about it now, but I think that's fine because it's not a law. I think one thing I'm especially working on and have been challenged on is how on that day I have deliberate time to rest in Christ. I've sometimes, for example, had a Christian book that I try and read a chapter of on the Saturday. Normally when Layla's having a nap, I'm going to have a think about that, how that works. Uh, we try and have our 24 hours as a family from Friday to Saturday, not because I'm being pernickety that that is the real Sabbath timing, which it was for the Jews, but because Sundays can be quite busy for us. Joyous, but busy depending on what's going on at church. For me, and that flows into Caroline as well, if I'm busy. Now, that's only us. Uh, and others will do it differently. Chat to the other elders or others around you. Ask them how they're resting. But for the majority of us, the best day for this deliberate shift in tempo probably will be a Sunday. A time to stop, rest, spend time with God and others, to dwell with him, to slow down as much as circumstances allow. Sundays in the UK are the day when we regularly gather together as God's people. That's what it is in our country. And that gathering together as a church, hopefully for you, is as it is for me, an incredibly life-giving time. It's blessed. It's holy. As we come together as believers, we encourage one another. We sing songs together of worship and praise. We listen to what God has to say to us in the Bible. We share communion together. We meditate on the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. We remember the completed work of Jesus, that we can now rest in him. We remember and anticipate the future rest to come. And this deliberate, defiant, some would say, act of rest is also a wonderful witness to the watching world. This pattern, this rhythm, when we rest, we're saying to the world, we do not need to perform. We do not need anyone's approval. We do not need the promotion. We do not need anything because we have everything in Jesus. We have all that we need and so we can rest. So as we come to the end of our time of looking about what it means to be human, will you as someone created, formed in God's image, Reflect him and honour him by resting deliberately each week. I think you could argue if you're not going to be resting each week, there'll be something subhuman about you. You just won't quite be yourself. It can be hard to unpick in our busy lives, I know that. But can I encourage you this week to take some time to deliberately think about it? You'll have time in home groups to do that. If it's your off week, be deliberate and intentional about that. And spend time thinking that through. And ultimately, will we come and find our true and eternal rest in Christ every moment of every day? Keeping the Sabbath always. Delighting in the complete and full rest available to all of us. We do not need to strive anymore because of Jesus and all that he has done. I'm going to end with these words. Eugene Peterson's uh, The Message, paraphrase of the Bible. It wonderfully translates Jesus' words for us. We're going to finish there today. Imagine this is Jesus speaking to you today and and hear it. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. 
I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. What a God we have who says these words. What a God we worship. What a God in whose image we are made. May we be a people who image our God by resting. Let's just take a few minutes now in the quiet and reflect on what God's been saying to us now.